You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. This episode is about flying by the seat of your pants. You know, sometimes you got to go off script. If you find yourself in an unknown situation, you're unprepared... Carlos and Satch are here laying down some real-world advice about techniques and mindsets to not only get through that kind of a situation, but possibly exceed all your expectations. And this conversation was completely unplanned, so they are practicing what they preach. So Carlos, how do you go about handling business when you have to just go for it, when you're not prepared, you just have to use the preparations from your entire history and you just go for it. What, what are some of your mindsets and strategies and, and pieces of advice for how to perform when you have to perform? Well, you know, context is everything because you can't really fulfill anything if you don't know what it is you're fulfilling. But what you can do is you can proceed with the understanding that you never really truly know what you're doing before you do it anyway. And you never really know a situation, even if you think you do. And since that's always the case, if you remind yourself of that, then it makes it a little easier because you realize you've always done it that way. That's a good point. If you just have that frame, I guess it's just remembering that that you have that frame. Yeah, yeah. That you think you know what's going to happen, but you really don't. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's a lie lie every time. You don't know until it actually unfolds. You never know. That's that's so true. And along with that would be the presumption that you have to be competent. Yeah, you know, yeah. Competency equals confidence. We've talked about that, right? Yeah, we have. That, that's a that's yeah, a big lie. That's a yeah. huge lie. It's not true. Yeah, but it's it's easy to understand why you would come up with that <laughs> idea because we're number one. It's it's ingrained in us. Oh, you yeah. can't. You know, don't be so confident. You know what you're doing. It's like, well, yeah. Maybe I don't need to know in order to feel that way. Yeah, but, totally. Yeah, totally. That's great. That's great. Um, I I think of the famous saying, fake it till you make it. Mm. I, I, I understand that that works because it rhymes. Right. But you don't really have to fake it Not at all. until you make it. Not at all. You can practice until you make it. Indeed. You can try until you make it. Practice doesn't make perfect. It makes permanent. Yeah. Th- there you go. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, so if there's something that a person has to do, you should just come as you are and just do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's at the same time, perfectly okay to prepare. Mm -hmm. It's perfectly okay to want to prepare and to take steps towards giving a good performance or doing a good job. But there are times when you are not able to prepare or your preparations weren't quite appropriate for whatever it was you thought you were going to have to do and your plans go out the door. Then what? You know? Then I think it becomes important to... um, embrace emptiness and spontaneity and just see what happens, you know, and not be attached to the result. I think that's what helps is, is to not be attached to the result. If you've ever been in a play and there are thousands of people watching, well, or at least hundreds and you get up and you're performing and somehow you go blank and there are all these people watching and all the other actors were staring at each other like, what the hell do we do, right? Because we got off script. Mm. And it's so interesting and hilarious 
to uh, watch everybody struggle to get back. What I've noticed in those situations is the best thing to do, and and dare I call this an authentic way to handle it, Mm. is you let the audience in on the joke. That's not faking it till you make it. Mm -hmm. You're on stage and somebody has a little goof. Um, Like, I'm going to give you a, a true story. Um, some years ago, uh, you came and saw me do a particular play. This was at the Huntington Beach Playhouse um, back in, must have been 2006, I think, when, mm-hmm. when we did that. And there was a scene on stage where I had um, this old man on the other side of the door, and I'm trying to prevent this woman from getting through the, through the door to meet this old guy. And there were these lines going back and forth, and all of my lines were completely dependent on what the guy on the other side of the door, who's off stage, was saying to me through the door. Well, he dropped one of his lines and it was so crucial. I could not proceed with my lines without him giving me this line. And I'm looking at the actress in front of me and she's looking at me and finally I didn't know what to do. And I just banged on the door (laughs) and then he delivered the line and the (laughs) audience just loved it. I I was thinking, oh no, we just goofed up in front of all these people, right? They know there's no way to hide it, right? It's just, it's a goof. But they actually loved it, and I found that it made them feel more like a part of the show. That it made it feel like this really is spontaneous. These artists really are laying it all on the line for us, you know, Mm -hmm. right here, right now, in front of everybody. And they ended up appreciating it, and I was terrified for a minute that it was going to not come across well. Mm. But I'm like, what's the first thing I thought of? Ding, ding, ding. I hit the door, and then he delivers the line, and we all sort of like hiding our smirks. And it turned out to uh, be the moment that sort of made the evening. Um, and that wasn't faking it. It was being honest. It was like, Hey, you know, sometimes you just screw up your lines. That's true. And and it's okay. Uh, I'm thinking, uh, as you mentioned that, uh, one of my mentors, um, was preparing for a big event and had a really supposedly awesome, um, you know, PowerPoint presentation and the PowerPoint wasn't working and he had all these people in the audience and, this was kind of like a make you or break you moment where he could uh, potentially make a lot of money. And it was like, Oh hell, Mm -hmm. this thing's not working. Um, what am I going to do? And you know, he's good at delivering things in a spontaneous fashion. So he just out of a little frustration, he just kind of gave up and said, all right. And he, and he delivered, well, he did incredibly well and made more on that weekend than he had ever made previously. It was like a huge jump. Wow. Huge jump in income. And, and that was all with a, crappy PowerPoint thing that didn't work. Thank know? goodness. Yeah. Thank, thank, thank goodness. goodness he had to go off script. And, and I can think of times when uh, um, I just simply couldn't find the notes that I had brought with me and then I just had to wing it. And, and that can be amazing. And it has been amazing. Right. Absolutely. For me as a teacher, there's a lesson plan. The teacher goes in with the lesson plan. There are these objectives for the day. There are these things we're going to teach these students. There are these things that we're going to practice. And then we're going to get into groups and then we're going to, and then we're going to, mm-hmm. and, and there's this whole plan. I find that the best classes I have, the best classes I can deliver are the ones where I am satelliting through the moment. And this is, this is a concept that I think about a lot, satelliting. So you know how in physics, a satellite is falling around the earth, for example, mm-hmm. that, that, that a satellite is moving at the perfect speed so that gravity is pulling it down. So it's always falling. So a satellite really has to stay 
in the present moment, in the present speed in order to do what it does. Right. And I like to use that analogy and apply it to other things, especially mindfulness, that, that when you're paying attention to what you're doing and you're right there in the moment, you are satelliting. You know, you, you are being natural, but you're allowing the natural forces to sort of pull you and, and there's a momentum that causes everything to work out. And so um, when I'm in class and I have a regular day, great. I followed the PowerPoint. I followed the objectives. But once in a while, you have that class where you really feel like, wow, everybody was on point. Mm. Everybody was getting it. Everybody was learning. You could see transformations happening. Those situations seldom happen when I'm on script. Those, those transformative moments really happen when I'm paying attention to the needs of the group. We're blending what's happening in real time with the learning objectives right. with the plan. And we're doing a little bit of both and I don't get attached to the plan. Um, but I also have to steer the class a little bit towards the lesson of the day mm-hmm. because I'm clear about what it is that I want them to learn. That's right. very clear. Yeah. There's, there's no ambiguity in that. That's very, very, very important, but um, sort of allowing their best way to learn it, to emerge as we go by asking the right questions and Mm -hmm. by paying attention to which analogies are causing their faces to light up. Right. You know, those are the best classes and those are classes where you're partially winging it. Yes. And I think it'd be easy for a listener to assume that, um, that means you just should never prepare. And, yeah, and absolutely that, not. that works all the time. And it, and it really doesn't work like that. Um, you know, it's a sign of expertise when you uh, can speak um, in an unprepared way uh, about your, the topic of your expertise. But really, if you're honest, it's not that it's unprepared. It's just that particular talk is unprepared. You are prepared based upon the work you've done and the understandings that you've gained over time. You're an expert. It's just that that particular talk was not fine-tuned. And right. so if you have expertise in something and you have this kind of um, maybe a seemingly obsessive or even pathological need to have everything perfectly scripted out, that could be a problem because then you come out as dry. Maybe you're not really pulling your awareness and your consciousness out of your lesson plan and into the students' or audience minds. Right. Where that's kind of what where it should be if you're if you're interacting and you're wanting to connect with all these different souls these different um, you know personality types and and different learners out there if you really want to connect with them you've got to pull your head psychologically out of your own books you know out of the armchair and get out and and interact with them in a way that's dynamic so they really feel you and sometimes when you screw up and you lost your notes or the PowerPoint doesn't work that is an opportunity for you to remind yourself that you can, teach something, um, but you said it earlier, you said you had to be clear about what that was, and you could cause the lesson plan to revolve around uh, these sort of dot points that you know it's got to touch. If you know it's got to hit those dot points along the way, it's okay if you um, change the circumstances in between those dot points. In fact, it might even be better than if you were to script that out, because then you can really draw upon your expertise to take whatever byways you need to along the way, as long as you hit those dot points. Right, right. Like it's, it's really important to go into the class knowing that today the lesson is the muscles of the hand. Yeah. 
That's very important. Today is the muscle, and I know which muscles we have to cover. Mm-hmm. That's very, very important. Mm-hmm. Who cares what order we cover them in? Right. Who cares how we cover them? You know, let's cover them in a way that uh, seems more interesting than maybe the way I originally had planned. happen if you suddenly discovered that you know your worst nightmare ends up being the best thing that ever happened to you you know what I mean like what if um, as a result of this someone asks you a wonderful question that draws out in you an opportunity to shine and then you get to feel really good about that because the things that you're filling in actually keep you interested and intrigued about the thing that you're presenting to them and therefore your own interest conveys, your own passion, your own um, fascination with the topic uh, becomes contagious and the entire room is enjoying it 30 to 45% more than they would have had you, you know, delivered it the way you initially intended. You know, because you're, you're, whenever you create a lesson plan or whenever you create a speech uh, or any of those things, a lot of times you're guessing, you know, you're, you're projecting an idea of what you think it's going to be like, but uh, that may or may not be 100% accurate. I mean, Korzybski said, you know, the map is not the territory. You know, that's something we, we talk about sure. in, in NLP a lot. How could it possibly be the territory? Because what, what you're experiencing out there is real, and the map is a representation. It's a real representation, mm-hmm. but it's just a representation. It's not the thing itself. Yeah. Yeah, and, and acting actors always talk about, um, you have to learn your lines so that you can forget them. Yeah. It, it's really important to forget your lines when you're acting, because you have to live truthfully in the moment. Same you in martial that, arts. That's, that, there it is, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point, huh? Yeah. Martial arts. Forget everything. Yeah, forget everything. Well, well how do I do anything? Well, you got to learn something first. Well, then forget everything. Yeah, <laughs> right. First right. there is a mountain, then there is no mountain, then there is... How many uh, times can that come up, right? Yeah, oh my gosh. Um, wow. Uh, one of my um, sort of magic hypnosis teachers uh, was talking about performing and how when you go out to do performing, especially something like magic, where you're using cleverness and deception and pattern and presentation, and um, it relies upon you having certain mechanical skills, certain digital skills with your hands, and certain understanding of spatial relationships, and and then timing and all that stuff. And there's a pulse and a beat to it. Um, you know, he, he does pickpocketing as well, and there's a certain kind of way of misdirection that happens there, and psychological fun and and manipulation that that happens is all part of the the show. And um, you know, he encourages his students to get it out there and just do it, even though we're not good at it. And he basically is talking about the confidence thing that we've talked about sure many times, right? Um, hopefully, we'll have him on the show one day. Yeah, um, that'd be great. That'd know, be great. I've offered it to him, but anyway. Um, the thing that he talks a lot about is, you know, you're going to screw up. If you just get that out of the way, understand you're going to screw up. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with accepting that you're going to make mistakes because that's to- completely realistic and it's totally reasonable that you're going to mess up sometimes. So if you incorporate that into your work, if you incorporate the idea that you're going to make a mistake, first of all, they may not notice it. 
Secondly, if they do notice it, they may not realize they noticed it. They may not notice that <laughs> yeah. as you continue to go forward. And, and, and thirdly, they may not care. They may have noticed it and noticed that they noticed it, but not really care. Yeah. Because they're able to be forgiving because what they will remember is the way you made them feel. So if you can make them feel a certain way, and maybe they're the only people who, who, who realized it. Maybe the rest of the crowd didn't know. And so there's a famous magician, kind of like a magician's magician. His name was Di Vernon, and they, they called him the professor. And he was uh, a strange and interesting, brilliant genius of magic. And uh, he used to hang out at the castle, the magic castle in LA. Sure, yeah. And people used to sort of sit around him and, and learn, and he, he would have his funny little voice, which I can't impersonate, but many people do um, very well. Uh, and he would kind of criticize people's magic. Like he would sit there and he would make a comment and um, maybe notice something about it. Um, once in a while, he might give a sort of a um, half compliment or something because he, he had very high standards. And people wanted to be around him because they, they sort of worshipped him. A little bit of a cult of personality around him. Yeah. Anyway, um, he had a saying, don't run if they're not chasing you. Mm. And, you know, it, it kind of speaks to the, to the fact that, or the idea that um, people may or may not notice what you're doing. So don't be in a hurry to correct your own mistakes and critique it while you're in the performance mode. If you're delivering something, you don't need to go, oh, wait, shoot, sorry. That, oh, man, that sucked. Oh, wait, let me start over again. Right. How do you know that they even noticed? So get used to the idea of moving forward and wait till someone stops you and says, hey, wait a minute, what's that card have to do with it? What's going on there? Was that intentional? And then there's no reason why you can't claim it or make a joke out of it, like you said. Yeah. Well, I was just checking to see if you're paying attention. So anyway, here I, and you continue with your next piece because yeah. now you've just rolled with it. And he, he was emphasizing, this is the teacher I'm telling you about, about how you just need to get good at rolling with it and get good at being the professional. And eventually, the lack of nervousness will reduce your mistakes. And the practice will reduce your mistakes. You'll work out those little kinks, those little areas where you, where you don't perform smoothly yet, and it'll just kind of become better and better. Yeah, yeah. That's great. That, that's perfect. You know, that reminds me of way back in my uh, bicycle freestyle days when mm -hmm. I used to do the bike tricks. Mm -hmm. If I watched a show or I had friends that did some shows, I uh, emceed a couple of those way back in, in high school. And uh, uh, every stunt rider, right? Every, every, every freestyler, whether you're a skater or a freestyler, you know, whatever it was, you're out there and you're trying to pull off these tricks right? Mm. And you're hoping, oh, I don't want to mess up the trick in front of these people, you know, and your bike's doing something acrobatic. But you know, what's funny is the audience is very forgiving. And I learned after a while that if we, if we have a crowd of people that we're entertaining with our bikes, we don't have to land every trick perfectly. Mm. The audience actually loves to see you struggle and eventually overcome. That's true. So what would happen is you might be trying to do this trick and they see you fail. Oh, and the whole crowd. Oh, no, I'm try it again. You sort of give them the body language like I'm letting you in on my practice session. Then you go and you try the trick again and then, oh, he failed again. And then after two, three, maybe the fourth try, you pull off the trick and they feel like they succeeded too. 
And Don't actually, you love those mirror neurons? Yeah, those mirror neurons. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. And, and you know, humans have this ability. I'm glad you said that because yeah. humans have this ability um, to experience empathy, mm-hmm. you know? And the crowd always loved it when somebody couldn't do a trick and then eventually does the trick properly. They enjoy it more than if they ever saw the trick performed properly to, to begin with. You know, and that's just kind of a beautiful thing that mm-hmm. it comes back to this this theme that I think is developing here is that you don't have to have already arrived. You can just, you know, be on your path and keep doing what you're doing and and make it more about the love of the performance or the love of the job that you're doing. Uh, and and let it be creative in the moment and it pulls the audience with you. Or right. pulls the onlookers with you, and and let them be a part of it. They, they why are they watching? They're watching because there's a little part of them that wants to do it too. Don't try to be good. Try to understand what you're doing. Yeah, that's it. Lose yourself to the practice. Enjoy uh, exploring and creating, and being curious about what's next for you. Yeah, yeah. Don't try to be good. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Don't try to be good. Don't try to be good. Mm. I remember, um, I've said this in a, in a previous episode or two, uh, just Tony, you know, our, our Tai Chi teacher saying, mm-hmm. you know, don't try to be good at Tai Chi. Don't try. Just try to understand. Yeah. What am I doing? Why am I doing it? Yeah. Yeah, and I take that in the same way that I took, um, with that other teacher I told you about, the, the, the hypnosis magic pickpocketing teacher. Yeah. <laughs> so you better watch your wallet. I might have it by the end of the night. Oh, so you'll be very disappointed. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, he was saying that when you go out with a spirit of curiosity, it could replace the feeling of anxiety as long as you've practiced. If you ask yourself, have I practiced? And the answer is yes. If, I, if I've practiced enough, if the feeling is, yeah, you know what? I gave it a lot of practice. Then whatever residual anxiety you may have about it, well, some of it might be adrenaline, excitement. Well, then do some push-ups, do some jumping jacks, do some squats, uh, whatever, you know, run around the block real quick or whatever. That's just a chemical release. But if it's more than that, if you're projecting fear over it, you're, you're projecting your uh, possible future and you're focusing on the worst instead of projecting the best or focusing on what you want, then why not replace it with the idea that you're going to get really curious about what you're going to learn when you get up on stage or you get in front of those people and in front of that classroom or whatever it is you're doing, get curious about it and have the attitude of, boy, I can't wait to learn what I'm going to learn as I experiment, as I, as I test these, this material, as I teach this lesson or whatever it is I'm doing, find out. And if I have that attitude of curiosity, I can go out and relax and enjoy and have fun and joke and smile and connect and make it about them. How am I going to get this information to seem relevant to them? How am I going to communicate? How am I going to interact? How am I going to get them to participate with this experience so I'm not alone? How could I be afraid or nervous if all of us are in this together? Right. It's not just me. And how can I be afraid if I'm really curious about how I'm going to do? Curiosity is going to lead me to getting better because... Everything I learn, I'm going to do an after-action review and say, what worked, what didn't, where do I go from here? What's my stretch, right? So might as well just go out there and figure out what it is that I could do better. That's great, because that means the next one's going to be even better than this one. So you have a lot to look forward to.
heard you talk about this idea of curiosity as a sort of helping through like performance anxiety mm-hmm. or you know being fearful about doing something and i think that's that's a real take home lesson here isn't it that yeah. that that you know curiosity is a different mindset it's a different trance state right than 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 uh the performer mindset the performer trance state if that's not working for you that's you know? so true um and when i first heard that um i think my mind tried it on and um the, or let's say a part of my mind tried it on and I thought, well, maybe, but then I realized, wait a minute, if you really want to know something, you've got to do more than sort of try it on. You've got to kind of slip in all the way and, and actually test, is this true for you? You don't have to believe what I just said, but if you were to try it out fully, it means to actually step into the idea that you are curious. And actually, if you don't know what that is, just remember, when was the last time you were curious about something? really curious, like when you really wanted to know something, we'll take that feeling and make this match that feeling. And then you'll know that, oh, okay, you know what? Now I've got it. Before I was just thinking conceptually a little bit about it. Now I've actually stepped in and now I feel curious. And you're right. As I'm curious, this is a different experience than feeling anxious. And if I'm curious, what comes to mind as a curious person versus what would come to mind as an anxious person? Those are two different menu options. Yeah, they really are. An anxious person thinks of different things than a curious person does. Right. You know, an anxious person is functioning from their limbic system. Yeah. A curious person is functioning from their prefrontal cortex. So true. And the prefrontal cortex is smarter and it's more of who you actually really are, you know, in terms of your personality is is what I mean, you know. Um, So curiosity is coming from a completely different part of the brain. Right. And boy, I sure want to come from that part of the brain. Me too. Nobody likes to get hijacked, especially not an amygdala hijack. Amygdala hijack. Yes. <laughs> the almond-shaped critter in your brain. <laughs> the ancient reptile. You know, when I went, well, I see, I was in elementary school and I had become a boy scout. No, I wasn't a boy scout for very long. I think I made it to tenderfoot. <laughs> which wasn't very name. far what I know it w- w- wasn't very far uh, I, well, was, I have a worse one I was a wee blow oh wow oh yeah, yeah. not proud of that yeah, but don't, okay. don't you find those in like you know cornmeal where stuff? do they get these yeah. names yeah, I don't know but I was I was a boy scout and I went to boy scout camp and when I was at boy scout camp we were going to have a gong show and it was going to be a big thing and we're going to be around the the we, the fire pit and and all these kids got to, got into groups and we put together these uh, little skits. And one of the kids in the group, and we, we were pretty young, you know, and one of the kids in the group, this was around the time when the movie Beat Street was was out in the theaters and it oh, came yeah. out and, you know, it was break dancing and Grandmaster Flash, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, right? And so there was a song, you know, Beat Street. Mm-hmm. And one of the kids <laughs> knew a little silly version called Beef Street, Okay, Beef Street, the king of the beef. Okay, and it was just this whole thing. And we thought that was just going to be a smash hit. So we're, that's what we're going to do for the gong show. Okay, mm-hmm. we had to do something. So we, we put together this little thing. And these, and these it was very short. You know, the, the whole song couldn't have been more than, you know, 20 seconds or something. It was, it was very brief. And some of the kids in our group were going to do some like popping and locking. and break. It was just a cute little, little thing we were going to do. And we were practicing and practicing and practicing and practicing. We were ready to go. And on the night of the gong show, there were these two kids that were there that were sort of special guests, and they were really good break dancers. 
and they did a whole breakdance show. It was a big smash hit. Well, the kids in our group that were going to perform got cold feet. They became you know, frightened to mm-hmm. get up there and perform because these other kids just did the, their popping and locking and it was really great. And so all these kids dropped out. Comparison is the thief of joy. Isn't it? Oh, gosh. And so there were only a, maybe about three of us that got up there. And so, so what we had practiced wasn't going to be what we got to show the audience because half of our crew got scared and they wouldn't go up. And so they <laughs> called us up there. And, and, and it was a gong show. Okay, So if you didn't perform, they were going to gong and pull you off the stage. So we got up there and we started doing our little song, which was not very interesting by this point because it wasn't what we had practiced. And we got gonged mm. and we were devastated. And our, our teacher, our scoutmaster, he knew exactly what had happened. He just was, you know, such a good guy and, and he knew how to uh, give us the lesson. And, and at the end of the show, I mean, we, our, our throats are all choked up, you know, like we, we got gonged on the show and our, our friends had abandoned us on the night of the performance. It was mm-hmm. just terrible. Right. And then he came over and he said, he says, you know, I know who really showed the scout spirit and followed the, uh, the scout code tonight, <laughs> you know? And, and, and so the, the message was to those boys that, that bailed out and, and didn't show that courage, you know, and we got up and performed anyway, even though we got gonged and it was humiliating. There was something about that experience that gave me a drive to perform. Like hmm. I had to make up that awful performance. We got gonged on the gong show at summer camp for the Boy Scouts, you know, and I was never going to get gonged again. But it's so funny to me how I could have seen that go the other way. Right. That could have created a lifelong terror of getting up in front of people, of expressing myself. And I was a shy kid. You know, I was a shy kid. I, I liked to kind of perform. I was a bit of a ham as a kid, but I was also very shy. And I got my feelings hurt. Vegetarian ham. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't have tofurkey back then. Mm-mm. So that was a very negative experience that I can reflect back on. And I can't say why it had the effect that it had. Somehow it pushed me forward. It so easily could have done the opposite. I could have been just crushed by it and never have wanted to perform again. But I just I just felt like sharing that story hmm. since we're we're having this conversation because there might be a lot of people that are hearing this and they think, oh well, easy for you guys. You're you're you have a podcast. You shared your deepest insights and secrets with the world. Well, yeah, sure, but um, there were times when that wasn't necessarily an easy thing to do. Right. There were times when. Uh, we both, I'm sure, in our in our own respective lives, had to overcome fear and had to overcome oh hell yeah feeling unprepared and not feeling worthy of getting up and and expressing ourselves and and overcoming shyness and and overcoming a hijacked amygdala for sure. I mean, I I felt that many times where um, I felt anxious about what I was going to do. I didn't know how to step into performance mode and. Uh, the tools that I talk about using are tools that I've used on myself as well as with others. And it was the, the tools that taught me how to, to do it again. It, yeah. The tools taught me how to re- have repeatability and have the experience over and over again of successfully stepping up and delivering whatever I, I need to deliver. Because I still, every once in a while, I, I still get a feeling of anxiety could come. And then I have to reframe it and use the tool right away because... I know it works and it gets less and less because with practice, the experience of it seems less powerful. 
the experience of the pain, the experience of the fear seems smaller in comparison with the solution because I've practiced it. So people should have an experience um, of it before they can really do anything about it. Like people have to say, well, I've never had that. I've never experienced dissolving my anxiety with one of those tools. Sure. But once they've had the experience, it's still possible to have that anxiety in the future. But yeah. at least they've had a success. They, at least they've had the experience of having it less. And then the next time maybe they do it, it's even stronger and stronger and stronger until their positive experiences outweigh their negative ones. And then they fully believe in it. They feel yeah. 100% committed that this is a technique that works. This is a method that works. Yeah. It's how you learn anything. Yeah. And make it a new normal. There you go. Make it a new normal. I like that. You're listening to The Authenticity Show with your hosts, Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Up next, Carlos and Satch continue their conversation about flying by the seat of your pants, including more cool mental hacks, an exercise for turning fear into love, and reframing the idea of a job interview in a really empowering way. Buckle up. I'd like to report that I still will once in a while have some anxiety mm-hmm. about about performing. If I have to be on and you know, you get a little a little fear response or something. In my life at this point, because I've had to speak so often and teach classes mm-hmm. and get up on stage and, and talk to audiences, it doesn't happen as strongly like you reported. It doesn't happen as often, but it's unpredictable. I never know when it may come up. Mm-hmm. And I might go a long time with, with really no angst at all about doing something. And then out of the blue, I'll go, wow, what, what's, what's this? Hmm. Where's this coming from? I'm not used to having this happen. Uh Oh, and so it still is there sometimes. And it, it might last for a while. And I might have some performance anxiety for a little while into the thing that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. It always eases up and it always goes away. But I think it's important to, to put this out there that, um, no matter how comfortable you get with those things, uh, it still can come up. Right. And that's yeah. okay if it comes up. It's okay. Well, because the assumption yeah. for people who aren't good at things is that, oh, you don't experience that. Yeah, right. This is easy for you. It's like, well, not really. Yeah, it's Maybe not. I'm more practiced at it, but Correct. I may yeah. still have some of the very same emotional responses as, as another person, perhaps. Sure. Um, but I have tools to change it quicker. And one of the things that I find is, is when you start using tools like this, you start to use more of the tools, like the, the ability to assign, to assign a task, like to, to say, if I feel anxiety, that means, and I create an equivalency there, okay. that means that I'm going to do this exercise or I'm going to reframe this or, or think this way. If I decide that it means that and I invest belief in that, it's going to happen. That might sound absurd because most people feel that things happen to you, but it isn't absurd. You can choose your response much more often than you, than you realize. A lot of things are under our power that we're not exercising. 
you could say, hey, I hear that clock ticking and gosh, it's driving me nuts and I can't sleep. Or, wow, I hear that clock ticking and I could decide to feel friendly about it and I could decide that with every click, I'm going to step deeper into my own mind. And with every step deeper into my own mind, I'm getting more relaxed. And with every step deeper in my own mind where I get more relaxed, I feel better and more at ease. And I can keep going until I finally drift into this zone of deep relaxation because I've assigned it a task. Yeah. So the ability to assign, we have that power. Yeah, that's, that's, that's well said. I think, I think that's a huge lesson here, yeah. that we have this ability to assign a task. I like that because I think oftentimes we have abilities that we don't claim, mm-hmm. you know, and that's one of them right there. It's power yeah. left on the table for no reason. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, one little technique, since, you know, sometimes it's fun to just talk about techniques. Like, yeah. Well, what's your strategy? Oh, what's, yeah. what's, what's your strategy? If I feel a little bit of that flutter in my chest or my stomach, uh, oh gosh, I, I, I gotta be on point. Oh, I'm coming up next. Oh, the audience is clapping and I know that I'm next to get up and give my presentation. <gasps> and I feel that, that little, that little bit of fear. Mm. If the fear is in my chest, then what I do is, is as I'm preparing to, to, to walk up, um, I try to notice that, that there's not a very big difference between um, a feeling of fear in your chest and a feeling of excitement or a feeling of love. Mm. It's, it's almost just a judgment on the feeling. And what I'll sometimes do is, is take that and say, ah, oh, I'm going to just take a moment and actually from my chest project how much I love this audience. And then it sort of takes the energy of that fear and it puts it into a different... Um, uh, I guess I could say a, a different type of movement, a different type of quality of movement yeah, that yeah. goes with loving my audience rather than being fearful that I'm not going to perform well. Mm-hmm. And so just go, oh, fear? Oh, let's let's turn that into love. Just take them. And, and, and I only have to love the audience for a second or two. Yeah. You know? And then again, now it's about the audience, not about me. And it, it makes the whole thing just go so much better. Yeah, um, that's just one of my own personal little hacks. That, that's beautiful that, that because um, that kind of flows into another thing I wanted to mention, which was reframing. Because what you just described has a couple of things. First of all, it has a potentially a presupposition of what we would call an NLP, a complex equivalency. I mentioned this a little earlier when I said equivalency. Um, that's when you say that one thing means another. And at some level, that sensation in your chest you've decided that it means that you need to do this process, right? It means, oh, yeah, that's right. Like you, you know just I mean? described a so little it's, while it's, ago. Yeah. It's an unspoken complex equivalency. Okay. Uh, you've said that something means something when it wouldn't necessarily be inherent that that means something, but you've decided. So it's complex. It's difficult to figure out, right? To an was, outsider until I, you explain it. I was doing it accidentally on purpose. Accidentally yeah, on purpose. Isn't that a movie? I think yeah. it's a movie, accidentally on purpose. Right. Okay. And also um, the reframe part of it, um, there, there are two different ways that that could be applied. So a context re- reframe might be to say, hey, what's another context under which I have felt this sensation in my chest? That was a positive context. Right. And could I trade that for this? Could I say, well, in that other context, this could mean a good thing. Therefore, could this mean a good thing? 
That's a context reframe.、Huh. The content、yeah. reframe is to change the meaning, right? So you might right. say, "Well,、um, this beating in my chest could also mean that I'm feeling really great and that I'm revved up and ready to give a great performance because my heart's pounding and I'm totally energized to give a great performance now." Framing is something that、um, can occur after the fact, but it can also happen before. You can do a pre-frame, and you can decide ahead of time. And we may have mentioned this in a very, very early episode of the show about framing.、Um, but if you were to decide ahead of time that you, what you're walking into is going to feel exciting to you, that it's going to feel like a surge of enthusiasm when you walk through the door, that everything that you're about to feel is going to rev you. Into action and cause your nervous system to light up, your neurology to light up in a way that will make you even more aware of what's going on around you. If you pre-frame that situation, it's like laying the carpet out for what it is you're about to experience. You're more likely to see it because perception is also projection. So you projected something into a situation, and you're more likely to filter for that. You've got a cognitive bias for that truth, and now what you focus on is expanding. But you're choosing it in. A powerful and positive way, rather than having it happen accidentally or automatically from a place of fear. So, how would a person go about creating their own preframe? Like, how do you? What's the、oh, recipe for that? Yeah. So, I mean, for me, number one, it's just look at the problem first. Don't be afraid to look at the problem and, and identify it. Get all the, you know, get all the sensory details if you can. Like, figure out、um, what is this actually like when you're in the problem. Don't try to avoid it. Okay, like if like if, like if I'm going to go on a job interview and I'm like, oh gosh, they're going to be judging me, and、yeah. oh, and that's a type of performance. It is. Know, and, job、yeah. interview is a perfect example.、Um, if you if you have already decided that you're going to do something about it, there's a presupposition that you're going to take action and that you're not afraid to look at the details. So if that's the case, and you're not just toying with it, but you're really going to try it out, then the first thing is to say, hey,、um, this feeling that I've got right now. Which you know may not be fixed. I, I can adjust that, but let's explore it. How do I feel about it? Okay, so I feel、uh, nervous. Well, what does nervous mean? How do you know that you're feeling nervous? How do you identify that? What's the evidence that you've got that's telling you that you're nervous? So, well, uh, uh, I feel tension in my jaw. I feel、um, my heart's racing. I feel a little bit high blood pressure.、Um, I feel kind of cold in my hands or sweaty.、Um, the more I think of the image. Um, the more I start to feel like I have self doubt, and I start to think, "Oh, I'm not good enough," or "What if they don't accept me?" or "What if、uh, I don't shine?" or "What if I can't remember and I, I stutter?" or "What if I freeze up?" So now you're getting an image, right? A person is projecting a bunch of visual images, like imaginary visual visual projected、yeah. images. They're hearing perhaps an auditory, maybe、uh, a voice in their head that's saying, "You're not good enough," perhaps, and they're getting a kinesthetic experience. Of、um, feeling tension, and、um, you know, maybe that includes some sort of meta feelings, like meta kinesthetics, emotions,、uh, maybe even、uh, very subjective things like、uh, you know, or abstract things like colors, or temperatures, or vibrations. 
so you just basically elicit that. You figure out what that is. So you're, you're fully in and you see, well, this is the problem. Here I am in the problem. And here's all the conditions around the problem. This is what it looks like. Now you separate. You say, all right, everything that's not this is pretty awesome. Or at least it's not this. Okay. Right? I like that. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you drop in, you fully associate into the problem. And then the next step is to go, well, then everything else that's not this is at least not this. So what's that like? And you ask yourself, hey, you know, what am I like when I'm not experiencing this? Uh, um, what is life like when I'm not experiencing it? What else is there out there? What would be maybe a, a far better experience for me? Perhaps you could ask yourself, is there anything that I've ever done that involved showing up and performing or speaking or delivering something to someone where I did feel in control, where I did feel good about myself, where I felt confident, competent, and uh, relaxed, and uh, maybe even enjoyed, maybe felt curious. Uh, is there any example? And you can ask yourself, well, hey, wait a minute, you know, what about when I uh, told my brother last week about um, the date I was on? And we laughed, and we had a great time, and we had, you know, or what about um, when I was teaching my friend... Um, something that they didn't know or what about you know any number of situations you could come up with yeah. and those are examples that are really clear that you have experienced something that's not like that and while you're in that state you're definitely not feeling the anxiety because you're totally yeah. associating now into this whole different situation that that is a whole different set of feelings and emotions and, and a different trance so now you can ask yourself from that new state of mind what resources do I have at my disposal that I could apply hmm. to okay. that old problem that's in that other position? So it's very important that you identify that you're in a new position. And yeah. while you're in that new position, you ask yourself, what resources do I have available? Yeah, this is a very, a very uh, powerful use of perspective here. It There's is. one perspective and a very different perspective. It's, right. it's a different angle, a different, yeah. Well, and then when, you, when yeah. you discover those resources, it could be something like, well... Um, the tools we said today about about um, recognizing that um, you're out there to learn. You know, maybe you could realize, for example, that um, hey, if this isn't a perfect fit for me, I wouldn't want the job anyway. Maybe you could realize that hey, if I'm not a fit for that other person who's interviewing me, probably, most likely, they're not a fit for me either. So rather than think, oh no, but I need the job. Well, that's the wrong frame. The frame should be if. If this is a good fit, I want it. If it's not a good fit, I don't want it. And if you can confidently say, well, I don't want it if it's not a good fit, yeah, that's a resource that you'll be able to draw upon. Yeah. I can actually look at that, go to my, my uh, job interview. Maybe I could do the one-time anxiety relief technique, for mm -hmm. example, because I'm in a whole new perspective now. I've reframed it, and I can do the one-time anxiety yeah. technique that we which, did in that one show. Which was a, a whole podcast episode. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And that was a great show. And and, and um, for those of you who are listening, go back and listen to that because it's a step-by-step -step procedure that you can use in a case like this. Yeah, and I want to report that my sister told me uh -huh. that several times she has pulled up that episode and gone through that little induction thing that you did oh, with wonderful. me and has used that a few times in her life. That's awesome. Yeah, so anybody can can use it for that. That's that's why it's there. That's so cool. Well, yeah, so so when you've done this, um, you've really completed four specific steps. It's called the meta pattern. 
in NLP and, and you know you fully associate into the problem identify the steps and the conditions of the problem you separate from the problem you kind of dissociate from that old position then you identify any resources that you have and apply those resources to the problem so there's four steps there okay very uh, nice. it's a meta it's yeah. a meta pattern that is involved in really every pretty much every NLP technique every and every other technique that's not NLP that really works well yeah. involves yeah. at some level this kind of meta pattern. So it's kind of a good way to reverse engineer and look at the blueprint of how to solve things. Yeah. Is, yeah. is you apply the meta pattern to that. Right. Yeah. You know, when you were describing that and we were talking about a job interview as mm -hmm. an example, I couldn't help when you were maybe about three quarters of the way through that, just realizing that, yeah, I mean, a person could go on a job interview and be interviewed, or they could go interview this boss about this job this boss is looking to fill. Exactly. You know, it, it really, what a reframe. A, it's a different, it's a completely different yeah. set of resources that are there for you when you're thinking of it differently. And that really helps to have some some technique like that to help you see it differently. Right. I, I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that is um, a perfect thing. You know, we were talking about how you discover the resources. One of them was, um, if this job is not a fit, I don't want it. Yeah. If, if it's not a fit for them, it's not a fit for me. And yeah. another one that you just said is, what if I am interviewing them to find out if they're a fit for me? Right. That's a different frame, a different... Uh, experience and so you've reframed the experience of going into a job interview as yeah a job interview meaning I'm interviewing you for the job you're hired boss right yeah. techniques that we're talking about right now, these are the kinds of things that, that, you know, you could seek out an expert to actually say, Hey, could you help me with this? I, I have to give a lot of talks at work and I really want to be great at it. And you can really sit down with somebody and you're one of those people that, mm. um, people could come to, huh? Yeah. And, and, absolutely. and actually learn how to do those things. And we're any, any good practitioner like that. Right. Mm -hmm. But, yep. um, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to promote you. I Thank have you. to, because I, that. I, I think, I think this is one of those moments where you can say, Hey, this is a very clear cut thing that somebody could seek out and get help with. For sure. And, and it saves you a lot of time when you have somebody uh, who spends the time looking at how it is you're delivering something and can stop you. I mean, why would you want to continue to repeat the same mistake and then do it 50, 100, 500 times before you finally figure it out? Imagine all the misery and stress you're putting yourself under by doing that. Yeah. Um, when you could just... Um, spend some money and invest some time, just like a lot of other top coaches and and uh, experts out there. Um, many of us <laughs> reach out and seek coaching. Even yeah, absolutely. us, I do. Oh yeah, you know, we all do. It's not like, oh well, the coaches don't get coaching. No, no, no. Most coaches do have a coach. Most coaches have mentors. Yeah, that's just how it is. And you know, that's kind of like when people say, you know, I eat my own cooking. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, um, right. it's, it's saying, Hey, like never trust a skinny chef, right? Yeah. You know, you, you, yeah. you have to be open to not criticism, but critique, Yeah, you know, positive critique, someone who can say, Hey, is it okay if I interrupt you right now? Is it okay if I, um, give you some feedback on what you just told me? Um, it's obviously given with love, but I, I want to save you some time. And so that's, you know, yeah. the, the, the nature of coach or hiring a good teacher 
mm-hmm. is that you can jump more quickly into the direction you want to go. So yeah. if you want to be able to fly by the seat of your pants, you need some tools. Yeah, right, right. You, you know, know? <laughs> I, I wanted to be an acupuncturist, and so I went to school. It's a lot faster to learn in school than it is to go study on your own sometimes. Oh, my God. You know? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, and, and How do you prioritize the information? Right, right. There's so right. much of it. Exactly. It's, 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 it's the same way. Um, but uh, so flying by the seat of one's pants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've been listening to The Authenticity Show with your hosts, Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. The show is produced by Oliver Altine. Our theme music is composed by Oliver Altine. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our website. It's AuthenticityShow.com. Thanks for listening and have an authentic day.